What's going on, everybody? And welcome into another edition of B-Shape Daily. Brennan Schaefer here with you. It's the early morning hours just after midnight on Saturday, March 11th. And we're doing this episode today because in about 12 hours, the information won't be as relevant anymore, but it felt necessary to get it out there for those who care about Missouri Tiger basketball. Because Mizzou, with a huge win in the SEC tournament down in Nashville on Friday, knocking off Tennessee for the second time this year, by the way. But that's what I'm here to talk about tonight. A little Mizzou basketball. This has been a really exciting team. They're going to be in the NCAA tournament. They're taking on Alabama, the one seed in the SEC, at noon on Saturday. So not a huge shelf life for this episode, but I wanted to get... A little bit of chatter out there because, man, the performance on Friday by Mizzou was special. And the season has been special. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about my impressions of what maybe the win on Friday will do for their potential seeding. Uh, preview a little bit of expectations or uh, speculations on what could happen against Alabama. We've seen Mizzou face Alabama already this year. It didn't go very well for the Tigers but it's exciting. The Tigers are in the semifinals of the SEC tournament. We haven't seen that before. And so it's good times to be a Mizzou basketball fan. And then we get the news later on Friday evening that the university has extended head coach Dennis Gates through the 2029 season. I believe the 28-29 season. He's getting a big fat pay bump, I think, to $4 million per year. He's He's got a year tacked on to the existing contract. And I want to talk a little bit about that aspect of things as well because I think that is a great move, a timely move for Missouri, even though he's only been here a year and he hasn't really had a full recruiting class of his guys come in necessarily. I think this was the right time to make this move, and I'll explain why that is. So plenty of Cardinals conversation still to come over the course of the weeks ahead uh, prior to spring training wrapping up and the regular season beginning, but... Tonight's about Mizzou basketball. Make sure you subscribe to B-Shape Daily, though. Uh, Spotify, which you'll be hearing a lot more about. Uh, the Anchor is the ad that you had traditionally heard at the beginning of B-Shape Daily. Fair warning, I think those ads are going to kind of be shifted to the middle of episodes going forward with Spotify for podcasting. That's sort of the new name that Anchor is going by, and uh, you'll hear a, a new advertisement that I read for that. And if you love B-Shape Daily, do me a favor sit through those, listen to those, and that helps me out. Another way you can help me out, patreon.com slash bshaper12 if you want to go over there, uh, support the show that way. But plenty of Cardinals stuff coming, so if Mizzou basketball is not your thing, appreciate you for being here anyway, but uh, that's what we're going to focus on today. Tigers get the 79-71 to 71 win over Tennessee. Came into this game, the line opened as Missouri plus 7. They were about 7-point underdogs when the line initially came out. Uh, Thursday afternoon, Thursday evening when Tennessee finished off Mississippi in the, I guess it was the the second round of the SEC tournament, and then Friday you had the quarterfinals. And Missouri was an underdog in this game. They were not expected to beat Tennessee despite the fact that they had beaten the Vols in Knoxville earlier in the season. That was the famous DeAndre Golston buzzer beater, one of the two buzzer beaters that Golston had this season for Missouri. And they knocked off the Vols then, but they come into this game as a pretty heavy underdog. The line did shift. Mizzou was only about a five-and-a-half-point underdog at tip time. But Zakai Ziegler, the point guard for Tennessee, is out for the season. I believe it's an ACL injury for him, but he's not coming back anytime soon. 
And so that maybe changed the dynamic a little bit. I know they got Josiah Jordan-James back. He did not play in the first game against Missouri, uh, however many weeks ago that was, early February. And so you maybe thought the dynamic would still benefit Tennessee. Here's my thing about Tennessee, and they're a really good team. But Mizzou has now beaten them twice this season. We'll talk a little bit about about the game from Friday. But just as an overarching view of things, man, I am just getting so tired of the net rankings. And I traditionally have looked at sites like Ken Palm, metrics like that, and have appreciated those things. But I just am getting to the point where I don't understand how those metrics are not adaptable to the games that are being played on the floor night after night. How do the games and the results of those games not matter when you're looking at the metrics? It's like they've got it set in their heads that, and again, I get it. You can't argue with computers. It's computers. It's not people. It's formulas. Okay. Uh, But the fact that these formulas are so not malleable that when teams like Tennessee consistently lose games, I don't know. They've lost a ton of games down the stretch. They've lost to Missouri twice this year. Neither of those games played at Mizzou Arena. Both of those games played inside the state of Tennessee. At some point, I'm going to look and say, if your metrics are not adapting to the results that are taking place, I have less faith in those metrics. And I'm not. I'm going to take them with a grain of salt rather than put a ton of stock into them when it gets to be NCAA tournament time. And if that makes me an anti-analytics snob, then so be it. But it's getting ridiculous. Teams like Tennessee appear to be cemented in like the top five in the country of these metrics. Top five or top ten, whether it's the net rankings or the Ken Palm metrics. It's just astounding to me at this point that there's no, once you're in, you're in? Like, is that how it works? I I just don't understand how the results don't have an impact. Mizzou, once again, you look at the record, 11-7 and in SEC play. You look at the overall record. I know they didn't play anybody in the non-conference, and I know that they allowed some bad results even in the non-conference schedule where they won all those games. Again, Mizzou is one of like four teams in the country that doesn't have a loss outside of quad one this season. But understandably, in some of those early non-conference games, I should say, they were giving up a lot of points to teams that aren't very good and their, their defense is suspect. I understand all of those things, but it's March now. It's not November. It's not early December. And the results that Missouri continues to to pump out each time they take the floor are pretty impressive. And yet they beat the supposed top five team and those metrics, what? I haven't seen any movement. I think Ken Palm, they're still like number 51. They're hovering in the, the upper 40s in the net rankings. And the, it wouldn't matter, right? I wouldn't care about this at all if not for the fact that the NCAA tournament committee is supposedly looking at these things to, to sort of help guide their seating for the entire process. And to me, if you look at Mizzou's resume, it is clearly at this point in time a top 25 resume, which would mean at at worst a seven seed in the NCAA tournament. You can make a case that it's even better than top 25, depending on how you believe the SEC as a conference stacks up with some of the other big conferences like the Big 12, like the ACC, like the Big 10. And I and I, I tend to believe it stacks up pretty favorably, especially when you're talking about against the ACC or the Big 10. I could go on and on about how the Big 10, it seems like the bad teams from the Big 10 will beat one of the supposed locks for the tournament that's got 19 wins, but everybody pretends like they're a lock just because I guess Ken Palm said so. I don't know. And then when it's the SEC that a team like Vanderbilt is running through the SEC tournament, knocking off a, a Kentucky on Friday, 
those teams don't get the same kind of credit that the the, the mid-pack teams in the Big Ten get. And I I just don't understand it at this point in time. So I'm telling you what, I cannot wait. I, I don't try to be like the conference supremacy guy, but I'm tired of watching the mediocre Big Ten teams lose to Ohio State as Ohio State's one of the worst teams in the, the conference for the majority of the season. And I get it. They're playing better now, so credit to them. But it's like Michigan State loses to him today. Iowa lost to him yesterday. And nobody's going to question it for those teams. It's just, well, oh, the Big Ten's just got a lot of parity. It's so deep. Give me a break. How is how is it not the exact same thing in the SEC? Well, because these metrics have decided that the Big Ten's better. I, I don't really know that there's any other way to, to carve it up. Although the metrics certainly do like some of the teams near the top of the SEC, like Tennessee, which I think is probably overrated at this point in time because twice this year they haven't been able to beat Missouri on a neutral floor or on a home environment for the Volunteers. And so as I see it, you can't have it both ways. Either Tennessee isn't one of those top five, top ten teams, or they are, and Missouri needs to get some credit for continually beating them. And the way the Tigers beat them on Friday was just really gutty, really gritty in my opinion. Kobe Brown was an absolute phenom in this game for the Missouri Tigers. I think he had one of his best games, and he's had a really good career at Mizzou, and he's had a phenomenal season. He was, in every facet of the game today, an absolute superstar on the floor for Missouri. 24 points, 9 rebounds, 3 assists, and he was making other plays that don't always show up in the stat sheet. Uh, loose balls that turned into jump balls that he had no business being involved in, but he ends up getting them for his team, just putting his body on the line. Kobe Brown was incredible. I think it's the best I've ever seen him play, and Missouri needed everything that he brought to the table. He and Des Moines Hodge combined for 50 points in the Tigers' win. Des Moines Hodge pouring in 26 points to lead Missouri. He did actually outscore Kobe in the game, uh, 26 for Hodge and 24 for Kobe Brown, just an incredible job by Hodge to get going in the second half when it's kind of been the story for Missouri this season. Do they have the three-point shooting on tap or do they not? And if they don't, you're pretty much screwed. You're not going to be able to get wins against quality competition if you're the Tigers and the threes aren't falling. And today they ended up getting the three-point percentage up to 38.5 by the end of the game, which is is fine. It's the exact same percentage actually that Tennessee shot. Both teams were 10 for 26 from deep. Um, but it was Vescovy for Tennessee that was really killing the Tigers for a while. He finished the game five for nine from three. I think he was five for seven at one point from deep. And I was like, if the, if Vescovy doesn't miss the rest of the game, Mizzou's not going to be able to catch up. But he did end up clanking a couple of his ladder attempts, and Mizzou was able to get the three ball going a little bit late. Hodge hits a big one. Nick Honor, it seems like he's not always a big scorer for this team. He only had eight points in the game on Friday. But Nick Honor, every game lately, within the last four minutes, it seems like he is going to bury a triple that's going to be completely instrumental to Missouri getting over the hump and winning a close game. And he had another one today. Uh, Just an incredible job by Missouri to close things out. Uh, Not a very deep rotation today relative to what we normally see. Only eight guys played. Trey Gamillion was unavailable. Uh, We're not even going to get into Isaiah Mosley because, again, he's not ever going to play again for Mizzou. Uh, That's just my speculation, my opinion. I, I don't know what the whole deal has been, but it's just pretty clear that for whatever reason, it's not going to work out. And then you only have three guys come in off the bench to play minutes. They play substantial minutes. Uh, and I believe Modiara maybe got the start. He's listed as a starter on ESPN. I, I 
was kind of in my feelings at the beginning of the game, so I don't even remember if he was on the floor. Evidently, he was. Only played 11 minutes. That he, he kind of gave what he normally gives, a few rebounds and uh, just, just a presence on the interior defensively at times. Aiden Shaw only got five minutes. So for the majority of the game, Mizzou is playing a lot of their guard-oriented lineups. Noah Carter was sort of the, one of the bigger guys on the floor, saw 27 minutes, and they play with a pretty short rotation. I don't know that that's going to be something that bodes well for Mizzou tomorrow, given that they're going up against Alabama, and Alabama is, I mean, not the deepest team in terms of the playing a super long rotation, but they're uber-talented, and Mizzou might have some tired legs tomorrow. I definitely think that's uh, a possibility to look out for, but nevertheless, they got the win over Tennessee, 79-71. to 71. I want to talk about maybe a concern I had from Friday's game was Sean East. I did not think he played a very strong game, and that's where you maybe really miss a guy like Isaiah Mosley because he's another guard that would be able to eat up some of those minutes. But it felt to me like the moment was too big for Sean East today. And I'm not trying to bag on the guy too much. I certainly, it feels like, did that on Twitter a little bit just because every time I turned around, he was making a boneheaded play. He was He was trying to do too much is the way that I would describe it. And a lot of Mizzou fans on Twitter seem to feel the same way about his performance. Uh, I I love Sean East when he's going right. He's a, an exuberant player that can play with momentum and can make things happen that a lot of other guys can't do. But today, it seemed like he was trying to just do a little bit too much out there, making some ill-advised passes. He had the over and back call where he threw the ball to Golston, didn't really need to do that. You end up with a turnover there. He was dribbling a lot into some bad situations uh, trapping himself against the boundary when you didn't need to do that and, and just trying to kind of play a little bit too much hero ball where you've got Kobe Brown in Des Moines Hodge on the floor and at times playing alongside Nick Honor to close out the game. And that's the guy that's got to be your point guard, got to be uh, the, the architect of the offense when you're in the half court. And so I just, there was, uh, there were a few too many things for me from Sean East where I was just like, man, I, I hope he can get it together because Mizzou's going to need him if they're going to advance and thrive in the NCAA tournament. But Today, I think they won a little bit in spite of him. And there were even times where I think Dennis Gates, I was saying, get him off the floor. It's it's not his day. And Dennis sort of doubles down. There was a, a technical foul opportunity where he, they end up having East shoot the free throws, even though Golston was kind of the guy that got popped in the face on the foul call. And East only goes one for two from the line. And he does a little behind the back thing with his free throws. He always does that. They were making note of it on the ESPN broadcast, though. But I think that was a spot where Dennis Gates maybe was figuring we can we can try and get our guy Sean East going. I'm going to give him the free throws because he's an 83% free throw shooter. He's the guy we would typically have in that spot. And so I'm going to, stoic as Dennis Gates always is, say, hey, this is what I would do, and I can build confidence for Sean East this way. Uh, it didn't end up working out in that he made one of two free throws. Tigers win the game, and they also win, by the way, in spite of their overall free throw shooting. Uh, a little bit better down the stretch, but 9 for 13, 69%. I'd like to see at least 10 for 13. Tennessee was 11 for 14. They were 78%. So at, at times in this game, I think they were about 5 for 9 early on. They finished strong, making their final four attempts. I believe the math on that checks out. But in general, I was a little concerned about the free throw shooting. And, and this is, ends up being the case for pretty much all Missouri games. The The offensive rebounding that they allow to their opponents can be rather frustrating. They gave up nine offensive boards uh, to Tennessee, which is probably not as much as usual, but it seems as though it, when the game is happening, you're like, oh my gosh, how are all of these possessions getting extended second and third chance opportunities for Tennessee? 
But Mizzou was able to overcome that by, like I said, shooting the three ball well late. Uh, to start the game, I think they were maybe one for seven, one for nine. Kobe had the only three-pointer go through. It took a little while for the other guys to get going. Ultimately, though, you got Demoy Hodge there, and that's what counts. He finished four for nine for the game. Kobe was three for six for the game from three. And again, he and Demoy Hodge combining for 50 points. What a performance by Missouri. Here's the impact that I think it has. There is no way Mizzou should be on the eight or the nine line in the NCAA tournament after this win. If the selection committee is not paying attention to these games, there's no reason to even have these tournaments. Like, they're super fun, but at some point, the the results really should matter, especially this early in the week. Like, I know they've had their bracketing done since late February. I know, because the the seeds aren't going to change the way that we think they should as outsiders. And I think we've come to that realization. Uh, Earlier this week on the KTGR Big Show, my co-host Andy and I sort of talked through this, and I had the realization anyway that, the uh, the athletic directors that are on the tournament selection committee, they don't care about it as much as we do as fans. They just don't care. They're going to focus on getting the number one seeds and, and, and making sure they spend a lot of time figuring out who's the most deserving for that, and they usually get it right. You might have a, a team that says, oh, we're a two seed, but we could have been a one. But at the end of the day, whatever, even that doesn't really matter. Now that the, the glass ceiling has been shattered for 16 seeds upsetting ones, it doesn't. It's not really that significant of a difference between a one and a two. But they spend their time making sure they get that right, and then they look at the bubble because they want to make sure they're getting the right teams in. Beyond that, I honestly think in the middle of it all, they just don't care. They don't think as much about the advantage or the disadvantage of being an eight seed versus a seven seed or the fact that teams would rather probably be a ten seed just to maybe avoid a one seed situation in the second round of the tournament than they would an eight or a nine. They don't think about that at all on the, 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 the selection committee. I think that's really what it boils down to. And so you're in a situation with Mizzou where the net rankings, the Ken Palm, for whatever reason, and I know the reason, like it's possession efficiency is, is the way a lot of those metrics are, are breaking things down. And Mizzou is terribly inefficient oftentimes on defense. If they steal the ball and turn you over, which they did a lot today against Tennessee, they need to capitalize on more of those turnover opportunities. They didn't score enough points off of their turnovers especially in the first half when they were frustrating the hell out of Rick Barnes and the Volunteers. They, they weren't actually putting points on the scoreboard in those situations. And so, like, finishing the job is important. Finish at the rim. Don't miss easy layups. Get open looks and knock them down. Those sorts of things have got to happen and make sure you hit your free throws too. But at the end of the day, for Missouri, their efficiency is not respected overall in regards to some of these metrics. And if they don't just look at the resume, if they they lean a little bit more on these metrics, Mizzou is going to get docked a little bit for for that, and it could impact their seeding. But at, I just don't even care. They cannot be an eight seed. Four teams in the country with no losses outside of quad one, and Mizzou is once again, I mean, they've advanced to the semifinal now of the SEC tournament. They have, what, 24 wins now on the season? Yeah. I mean, this is a, a resume of, of, a, of a five, a six, or a seven seed at the absolute worst. So I don't care what happens against Alabama on Saturday. Mizzou absolutely should be a seven seed at worst. That should be their floor, especially after what they did to Tennessee. If Tennessee is going to basically not get punished for the way they're playing down the stretch and they're going to end up with a three or a four seed the way a lot of the bracketologists are projecting, then I, I, I mean, I'm beside myself especially if that means that Mizzou's wins over those teams just doesn't count. So I'm hoping to see Mizzou at least like a six or a seven. I think that's the sweet spot. Honestly, I'm cool with the seven. 
I think Mizzou is capable of beating anybody on any given day, and they're capable of losing to anybody on any given day. They're probably the most volatile team in the nation this year. Um, I, I saw a graph from Reddit earlier in the season. It's been a couple of weeks since I saw this, but it's one of those deals that tracks um, the runs that teams make or have go against them. Like the number of times they've gone on a 10 nothing run or had a 10-0 run go against them. And Mizzou is in the upper right quadrant of the, of the, the graph, basically breaking the scale to say they're more explosive offensively and capable of those runs than any team in the country, but they're also one of the teams that has it happened to them more than most teams in the country. And so that's what you get with Mizzou. It's it's the uh, the, the high octane roller coaster ride. It's been a lot of fun, and I think the fact that they end up coming away with these wins more often than they lose them, like they haven't lost a close game all year. They're undefeated. Was it seven and zero now after the Ole Miss win in games? settled by five or fewer points. So that's sort of been the Mizzou way this season. And at the end of the day, it's been a lot of fun for fans. I think because, though, they've had some of those bad losses to teams like Alabama, to Kansas, where they were blown out in some of those games, and then the non-conference schedule didn't impress anybody, uh, especially in the early going. You beat Illinois, but they suck too. So uh, they're, they're not getting a whole lot of credit for those things. Those are aspects that hurt their seeding. But after the Tennessee win, like I'm defiant about it at this point. You can't tell me a team like Arkansas that comes in as a 10 seed in the tournament, they lose to Texas A&M today, and they're somehow still like top 20 in the net, top 25, whatever it is in Ken Palm, and Mizzou's hovering at 50. Like it's ridiculous. So I'm defiant about it. I'm hoping that the win should settle things and should guarantee that Mizzou gets to at least a 7 as for whether you want a six or a seven, I'd honestly say it doesn't make a humongous difference. Um, obviously, your second-round opponent's going to be a little more beatable if it ends up being a six seed because you'd be probably playing that three seed. But you got to advance beyond the first round anyway. Mizzou hasn't done that in, like, you know, over a dozen years or whatever it's been. So just win the first game is the bottom line. And sometimes as the six seed, you're playing that 11 seed that had to play their way in through the first four in Dayton, and that can be scary because those teams sometimes get hot. So my thoughts about the seeding are a combination of, like, don't get too far ahead of yourself, Brendan. They haven't won a tournament game in forever, and to do that would be an unmitigated success. Like, there'd be no second-guessing in advance to the round of 32 for Dennis Gates' team after where this program has been. It's been very impressive what he's done. Uh, just win a tournament game. So everything else is sort of gravy, but I, I do. I'm going to want to see them win that first game, regardless of the opponent, of the point spread, of any of it. I, I really would like to get that win and, and see them get the monkey off their back in the NCAA tournament. Uh, that could be a good building piece for Dennis Gates. But uh, we'll see what ends up happening. Like, they're, they're plus 9.5 or so tomorrow on Saturday against Alabama. Uh, money lines of plus 325. I was uh, fortunate with the Mizzou money line on Friday against Tennessee like plus 200, I I think the money line would be a lot of fun on Saturday. But again, Alabama, they finally looked like they locked it back in against Mississippi State in this tournament. And so I'm thinking it might might, might be a little ugly for Missouri on Saturday, but at the same time, uh, they're, they're a confident group. Kobe Brown said after the game, he was asked on the, the postgame on ESPN, you know, what does this win say about this Missouri team? He says that we're here that we're here and we're not going anywhere. So they're going to be motivated, I think, coming into the game on Saturday. And it's if they shoot 50% from three-point range like they have at times in, in the past this season, 
They could beat Alabama. I don't think it's crazy. But I I'll probably just be donating the ten bucks or so if I if I put that money on Missouri for Saturday. But as a as a good uh, you know a good alumnus, I think that's what the plan's going to be. So we'll see what happens for the Tigers. The good news is though, a loss doesn't hurt them really, right? Like Alabama's going to be a one seed in the NCAA tournament. I think the big thing was to win the game on Friday, a game that you weren't expected to win. That was the the last chance I think to help your resume. Uh, I mean, obviously they could beat Alabama and, and maybe soar a little bit higher in terms of the you know seeding potential, but. Winning over Tennessee, I think, was the big one. And then we'll kind of see what what happens from there. Playing with house money, I'd love to see Missouri put together a good showing on Saturday against Bama. Uh, but I think what they did on Friday hopefully ends up being enough to, to really help solidify their seating and get off that 8-9 line. Let's talk, though, real quick about Dennis Gates before we wrap things up. I have been saying, we've been talking about it on the big show, Missouri needs to lock this guy up. And I know his contract is relatively new, right? He's only been here for less than a year. And so what do you mean they've got to they renegotiate his contract? I have just seen enough speculation about the job that he's done and the attention that he has attracted already in year one at Missouri, bringing all these guys from the Horizon League and the Missouri Valley and, and turning this team, which last year was pitiful, and turning this team and this program into a winner immediately. And he did the same thing. Uh, albeit at a lower level in the Horizon League with Cleveland State, but he had a similar story with the turnaround that he was able to put together there. And so I think at this point, you can just safely say that Dennis Gates, really good basketball coach. And if you're a program like Texas, or maybe it's a Kentucky that decides it's done with John Calipari, and I don't even know if that's possible with his buyout situation and what have you, but there are big money programs, I think, around the country and enough of them to maybe have their jobs come open that it only takes one to say, you know what, Dennis Gates has impressed us. If their boosters love him, they say, let's go get this guy. And Dennis Gates could say, oh, I'm happy to be at Missouri. This is where I want to be. This is where I want to build something. And he could mean every word of that. And then they could offer him double his salary. And you go, well, I, who's ever going to turn down double their salary to do what they love, right? So it says nothing about Dennis Gates or like what I expect of him or his integrity. I think the world of of the job he's done and the man that he is, but I think Missouri just needed to make sure they protected their investment in him and upped it a little bit. And so they did. I think he was making like 2.6 mil per year. Now he's going to make 4 million per year. He upped the bonus pool a little bit for his assistance. They'll get a little more money. Uh, They've got a good thing going with the assistance they've got here. They want to keep them recruiting. It's all very important. And uh, Desiree Reed Francois deserves a, a lot of credit for going ahead and locking up Dennis Gates. I mean, you look at the two coaches right now between Eli Drinkwitz and Dennis Gates at Mizzou. Uh, Gates certainly has been the one to turn things around much quicker. He hasn't needed that one, two, three, four year uh, runway. Uh, Drinks coming into year four, I think it is. So it hasn't been the same case. He has turned things around immediately. And so Drinks making like six mil. Gates should make four. I'm totally cool with that. It's going to make him one of the higher paid coaches in college basketball, but. Uh, I, I love that he can be that at Missouri, right? Like, I love that that can be a thing and that, that the investment is such that in Columbia, Missouri, they're willing to to go to that level to keep a guy. And the fact that they did it preemptively, right? Like, they didn't maybe have to do it now, but if you don't, and, and Gates is, you know, yeah, he got a substantial raise, but if he's making the, what he was making, it's a lot easier to look and go, oh, a $5 million or a $6 million from a Texas or somewhere else would be a significant bump. But now he's getting that $4 million or so from Mizzou, and, and the $5 million from somewhere else may not be as interesting. 
right? Because he has got the commitment that he's he's wanted. He's gotten a, a juicy raise for the job he's done in year one. I think it's a great situation and, and really glad to see that Mizzou was able to uh, recognize the value that he's brought to the table and immediately before it even before even any rumors have to start up, they said, nope, let's go ahead and lock this guy up and make sure that we're good to go for the long run here at Mizzou. So really excited about that, excited about what the Tigers are doing and looking forward to seeing them play against Alabama, maybe come up with another upset on Saturday. I appreciate you guys, though, for joining me for the conversation. Let me know if you've got any Mizzou basketball thoughts at bshafer12 on Twitter. Hit me up, direct message, tweet at me, all that good stuff, and we'll have some fun talking about uh, some March Madness coming up for sure. Probably do some more March Madness episodes maybe as things get uh, a little bit ramped up here over the, the next week or so. Appreciate you guys, as always, though, for listening, and we'll talk to you next time on Shape Daily. Peace.